We'll read a set of passages that are printed in your bulletin. We'll be up on the, the screen as we uh, take up this Holy, spiritually, Holy Spirit uh, fruit of gentleness. Uh, we'll start with Proverbs 15, verses 1 and 4, which says this. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And then our Lord Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then the Apostle Peter tells us a variety of different people and different kinds of relationships are called to a remarkable Holy Spirit wrought gentleness. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And then as we prepare ourselves to answer those who ask us a reason for the hope we have, we're also called to this attribute of gentleness. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Let's ask for God's blessing tonight on his word. Lord God, we pray for the supernatural illumination of this, your word, Lord. We pray that we would not just uh, recite some interesting things about gentleness, uh, not merely learn about it, which would be wonderful, Lord, but we ask that we would actually desire it, Lord, and particularly desire it in Christ, who in him is hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge, Lord, and help us to see the ways that over and over again you have been so gentle and kind and generous toward us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps gentleness is one of the least valued attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to many sermons getting ready for this sermon. I told my wife this week, it's almost like I took a class on gentleness, which was exciting to me. I had a reason to drive very far yesterday and listen to a lot of people preaching. And some pastors who preach through the fruit of the Spirit skip gentleness because it's lots of things to cover and it's sort of like this one maybe is not quite so essential. Uh, But we'll see tonight that gentleness is uh, touched on and spoken of in many different ways throughout the scriptures and is such an essential attribute of the things that the Holy Spirit works in us. Think about how uh, uncommon, though, we think about ourselves or consider the fact that we aren't gentle. When was the last time you went up to someone and asked them to forgive you because you had not been gentle with them or meek toward them? I think one of the reasons that we don't take into account gentleness is it's more about manner than about words. It might be more about form than content. And what I mean by that is you may recognize that someone is gentle based on more their facial expressions, the things that they are uh, intimating than the specific words that they have. Sometimes you know someone is gentle because of how they carry themselves 
and the way that they speak, it's a little bit more of a subtle fruit of the Spirit. And then sometimes we're also not helped in the New Testament because the same word, proutes, which is the word that is translated in Galatians chapter 5, which is the word that Paul says is one of the fruit of the Spirit, can be translated meekness. It can be translated in certain contexts as gentleness, like it is in the ESV. And then other times it can just be called humility. And so one author says about gentleness, uh, this character or this fruit of the Spirit has sort of identity issues because we don't know what to call it and what it is. And so I want us to, to consider again this evening the definition of gentleness and really go specifically uh, into understanding what it is. Um, but I, I think gentleness has definitely fallen on hard times. I remember uh, growing up, we did not have a television set, but when we were about uh, 13 or 14 years old, my dad really wanted to watch the, uh, the finals uh, uh, of baseball, and so he got us a, a TV set. And one of the things that we emphasized in our family, uh, for, for some reason, was watching the presidential debates. And I remember way, way back then, uh, watching and appreciating the manner of the presidents, who, who are president potential candidates, that they spoke in a way that was elevated and, uh, and gentle, and they wanted to persuade with this kind of a manner that they had. And I remember watching debates from a long time ago, some of the first televised debates, and that was important, a kind of way of carrying yourself as a president. There was a way of being presidential. And it seems now, as I watch uh, debates between candidates, it's attacking. It's whoever can kind of demolish. It's like a, a verbal a boxing match. Uh, is prized among our leaders, the one who can attack most quickly, the one who can destroy is the one who is uh, appreciated, will vote for a candidate like that. And that is a travesty. That's not a a Christian uh, virtue that's being put on display by our leaders. And I'm not appealing to you for one candidate or the other. I'm not really an American after all. I'm a Mexican. I remember that. But I do uh, want us to appreciate and look up to the virtue of gentleness. Uh, last sermon I preached on kindness and how oftentimes in our culture we have kind of a vague sense of what kindness is. Um, and I think we, we uh, set aside real kindness because we don't know what that looks like. And I think we oftentimes uh, don't appreciate gentleness because as a culture we are more and more uh, disregarding it. So let us consider then what is gentleness according to the scriptures? Who do we owe gentleness to? So what is it, the definition, and who do we owe it to? Second, why is it so important? Why is gentleness so important? And then finally, where does it come from? What is the source and power that transforms us to give us gentleness? What is it? Who do we owe gentleness to? Second, why is it so significant? Why does the Bible say this is essential? You have to be gentle in your manner as Christians. And third, where does it come from? Well, Uh, Contrary to maybe what we often think of meekness or gentleness, uh, gentleness is not powerlessness. It's not a a spineless person who kind of retreats and is absent in a room. Gentleness is the channeled, restrained power used in service to others. Gentleness is restrained power used for the service and benefit of others others. In the ancient world, a a Greek leader would often be described if he was very good and generous to his people as Proutes, a man with great authority and power, but a man who listened carefully. He was measured. He was wise, and he used his his power and authority to serve those who were under him. I think the best biblical example 
of Christ's meekness, power restrained for service, is when Jesus is about to be arrested. You remember Judas comes into the garden. He's got a band of kind of a militia with him. They've all kind of whipped up whatever weapons they can find. And uh, Peter miscalculates what's happening in the situation. He sees this band, they look outnumbered, and they start moving toward Jesus in the garden. And, Jesus, and Peter whips out his sword and he thinks, I'm going to take care of these people. I'm going to fend off this opposition and protect my savior, this king that I'm serving. And he slices off the ear of the high priest's servant, you remember. And Jesus says, you don't understand. You have it all wrong. These people don't have more power or authority than me. I could call on my father and there would be 12 legions of angels that would wipe out this little band. A legion of Roman soldiers was between 4,200 and 6,000 soldiers. And if you do the math, 6,000 times 12,000 angels would be 72,000 angels that could come and attack these people. You remember one angel of the Lord swept through Egypt that dark night and wiped out all of the firstborn. Imagine what 72,000 could do. But Jesus says, it was always supposed to be this way. I'm fulfilling the plan that my father had set up for me. And he shows remarkable gentleness as he focuses his power and authority to serve and to love his people knowing that the only way that he could rescue us was if he channeled that power and authority in weakness to go to a cross. Don't misinterpret, Jesus is saying. He heals the ear of the servant. You don't need to protect me. I've got this situation under control. But I think we do need to to correct a a counterfeit gentleness because I think oftentimes we read meekness or gentleness in the Bible, and we think it's sort of an absence or a spinelessness. It's, it's a retreat from hard situations, and that is not gentleness either. A dad can't say that he's gentle because when he tried to lead his family or serve his wife or care for his kids, he didn't get respect, and so he kind of retreated from uh, active service and love for his family. That is not gentleness in leadership and care. It's, it's focused, controlled power for the service of others. So who does God call us to be gentle to? Well, we're going to see in the scriptures that all of us are called to gentleness. Those who are in authority and those who are under authority, all of us are called to relate to each other in all the different kinds of relationships that we have with a spirit of gentleness. Uh, Our Uh, Elder nominations are open until Wednesday. And as you pray and you think year after year, who should I nominate? What am I looking for in a leader in Christ's church? You're looking for someone who can lead with both confidence in God's word and then apply that in a very gentle way. Both of those attributes at the same time. Titus 1 tells us about leaders in Christ's church. Titus had to tell, uh, I'm sorry, Paul had to tell Titus I left you in Crete because you needed to put things into order. There was all kinds of disorder in that early church. We need elders. We desperately need elders. And the kinds of elders that you should look for, he says this, they should hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so they might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine 
and also correct or rebuke those who contradict it. This was a very comforting passage for me as a young pastor. I knew there were very hard situations that I had to go and talk to someone, and I didn't want to have the conversation. I was terrified. In some sense, that could seem like a counterfeit gentleness, right? I'm just going to retreat. I'm going to step away from a hard situation I don't want to have to engage in. Uh, There was a young woman who, in the same correspondence to me, said, I'm moving in with a man who's a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not married to him. I'm moving in with him. And by the way, can you please transfer me to another church that I want to go to? And I remember thinking, this is going to be a hard conversation. Um, How will I relate to her? How will I speak to her? What will I say? And I had to pray and work up the courage. And over and over again, I remember reading these words and saying, hold firm to the word. It's not my authority that I'll go and talk to her about. It's God's word. Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught and correct people who contradict it. But 1 Timothy tells us as leaders that we are also called to a remarkable gentleness. 1 Timothy 3 says, an overseer should be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not violent, but gentle. And oftentimes we see maybe one strength or the other, someone who's very courageous and runs into situations and maybe does not have this kind of gentleness, or someone who is very, very timid and not able to have that kind of confidence in God's word. And the Lord says both of those are essential. You need to have them at the same time as you look for leaders. I am so grateful at Harvest Church for the kind of shepherding that is, I have watched emulated to me by fellow pastors and elders. They demonstrate a remarkable joy and confidence in the Bible and a very patient gentleness. Paul says to the Thessalonians, it was like I was a nursing mother with you. A nursing mom holds a baby really carefully. Uh, The dad may kind of whip around the baby in a way that doesn't really know what to do, but a nursing mother knows precisely how that baby should be cared for. And Paul says, this is how I came to you, Thessalonians. This is how I was with you. Paul calls those in authority to be very gentle, to be confident to be able to move and lead in situations, confident in God's word, but have a remarkable gentleness. But also those who are under authority. The book of 1 Peter talks about many people who are in very bad situations as Christians, hard situations, uh, civil authorities who have no regard for the gospel. You're supposed to pray for them. You're supposed to gently submit to them. You're supposed to trust the Lord as you look up to these civil authorities who represent Christ to you. You're supposed to entrust yourself to them. Uh, Servants were told to serve their masters, not only the good and the gentle ones, 1 Peter says. Serve the ones that are hard masters too. Trust and be gentle as you obey and follow their instructions. We read about wives whose spirit is supposed to be so beautifully quiet and gentle, and the flashy manifestations of beauty that we often regard and pay too much attention to, Peter says, I'm not impressed by that. The Lord delights in a quiet and gentle spirit who trusts and looks up to and follows a husband, even a sinful husband. The context there is a non-believing husband. The wife is supposed to have a remarkable, gentle, and quiet spirit. Well, if that's the definition of gentleness and who we should owe our gentleness to, why do we need it? Well, the simple, the simple answer is because God tells us to be gentle. Um, 
But it is also good for us. It is really, really good for us that we be gentle one with each other. Um, how do children respond? How do your children respond when you come down hard on them at the end of a long day and you're tired and your patience is gone? Do they move towards you and follow you when you are harder on them? Or do they move towards you when you calculate and you're careful and you pray and you gently say, this is not right. This is not the way that we should do this. The Lord calls us to a gentleness in our relationships. Well, what do we do when we sense um, that we have blown it over and over again? Well, Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. All of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Gentleness flows from understanding our own brokenness, our own weakness. Uh, Elders are told, likely elders or anyone who is mature in the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 6, says, if any of you are caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, who are growing in the Holy Spirit, should go to that person and restore them. The Spirit, though, the way that you do that is very significant. Do it with a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch over yourself, lest you also be tempted. Implication, all of us can be tempted with the kinds of sins that we find in each other. We need gentleness, one with each other, because we see in ourselves the very same weakness. We're not coming saying, how could you possibly do this? What's wrong with you? You come with a gentle spirit saying, I know exactly how you have fallen into this because I know that I am tempted to this also. George Washington Carver said, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong because someday in life you will have been all of these and we are called to a remarkable gentleness because we're supposed to remember that we are prone to the same weaknesses as each other. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? It's really, really a vulgar sin that she's committed, if you think about it. The law allowed stoning only if a person was caught by two or three witnesses in the act, and she says that she's caught in adultery. And Jesus says not to her, it doesn't really matter what you did, I'm going to pretend that this is not sinful and evil. He says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And he shows the leaders a hypocrisy in themselves. And he shows a beautiful, beautiful gentleness. Why do we so desperately need gentleness? Gentleness knits families uh, together. One uh, author wrote about his relationship with his son. I'm sorry, one author wrote about his relationship with his dad. My father was a successful clothing salesman who worked a lot, but even when he was home on weekends, he wasn't available. All of my life, I've suffered from uncertainties about what it meant to be a man. I think it's because he never shared anything about himself with me. He didn't tell me what kinds of problems he wrestled with, what he felt, or what it meant to him to be a man. I've had to make it up all for myself throughout my life, and I'm never sure I got it right. Um, Dear dads, 
gentleness and confidence is not uh, putting on a false front of having everything together. It's moving toward your families and your children and loving them and expressing even your weakness to them. Well, as we uh, come to ask the question, how could we possibly have this, I hope you are sensing that this is not something that comes naturally to any of us. I think either we are uh, pretending to be gentle and meek, or oftentimes we lash out in anger and frustration. Uh, One of the reasons that we do this oftentimes is we think, I just can't influence a person the way that I want them to unless I exert myself with more loud power and authority. And the Lord Jesus Christ shows us by his tender and compassionate love that the one who had all glory and splendor and majesty, the king of all ages, did not dominate his bride, did not bring her into submission by conquering her with a loud kind of power, but took on the weakness of human flesh. Remember, Matthew 11 says, you have to learn from me, Jesus says. Everyone who's weary and burdened, learn from me, look to me when you are empty and you have no gentleness left. Because I am gentle and lowly and you will find rest for your souls. What did Christ do with those who over and over as Christians have stumbled and fallen into this kind of aggression, who take a hard hand oftentimes in relationships. What does Christ do toward us? He calls us to repentance. He calls us to change. But he does that with a remarkable compassion. He knows how we ourselves have been tempted. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18 says, Therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ channeled all of his authority and power under great temptation to love you over and over and over again throughout his ministry and every day of your life as you struggle to love one another in your home, in your workplace, the Lord persistently continues to love you. He, cha- he chases after you. He, he, uh, he challenges you with his word, but he also does that very gently and with compassion. We sing at the outset, Thou art the king, this is I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. Thou art the king of mercy and of grace, reigning omnipotent in every place, the awesome God of power and authority. But verse four says, you have the true and perfect gentleness. No harshness hast thou and no bitterness. As you sense your own failing as a Christian, as you sense, I'm not the kind of gentle mom or gentle dad or husband or wife that I should be. I'm not the leader or I'm not those looking up to others who are calling me to follow them. 
over and over and over again, your Savior points to him and says, come back to me, come back and return to me and find in me the sweet grace of a gentle Savior. As I said out of Psalm 18, I was so just overcome with the beauty of the the authority of God in Psalm 18 where he makes strong the arms of David to conquer his enemies. But the attribute that's put on display to accomplish that is the Father's gentleness. Psalm 18, verse 35, your gentleness made me great. And so over and over and over again, as you walk through your life as a Christian, and you say, Lord, give me the, the channeled power not to retreat and run away, not to have spineless passivity, but to move toward people who need me engaged in their life with a gentle, courageous service. Look to Christ, who nail by nail was nailed to a cross, who restrained the ability to wipe out all those around him and slay them in one moment and bore all of our failings as harsh and sinful people on that cross. Look to that Savior who has loved you and says, I will gently bring you all the way home. There's no harshness in me. There's no bitterness in me. Look to him. Put your confidence in him and know that he will carry you gently all the way to heaven as you cast yourself on the compassion on a Savior who is humble and lowly of heart. And there you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray for God's blessing to do that. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for the pairing of authority with gentleness in our Savior. And Lord, you who have called pastors and deacons and elders and leaders, Lord, employers, fathers, mothers, into positions of authority, Lord. Give us a remarkable humility and a gentleness. Lord, those of us who look up to others, who mutually submit to one another, we ask that we would look up to others and, Lord, demonstrate this humble gentleness in obeying and following others, even when we don't understand why you are leading us in a certain way, Lord. And I pray that the the humility, the compassion, the sweet, sweet gentleness of a Savior who focused all his power to serve and conquer our enemies would be the one that we come back to over and over again, Lord, finding rest and life for our souls in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Holy Spirit, living breath of God.
God, he blesses you this evening. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen. We're going to be led in. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll stay standing as we sing this last song. And then I'll ask everyone to sit. I forgot to talk about this. Uh, we're going to show a short intro video on ESL ministry. Our church is praying about potentially starting an English as a second language ministry. And we're going to watch about four minutes of a video. And I'll invite you to an information meeting after we watch that video. Let's uh, uh, close our service with the Lord bless you and keep you. When I first came to America, I felt very alone and very frightened because at that time, I didn't speak any word in English. For example, I needed to, to know how to get to a place, but sometimes it, it was not enough to say with my signs, uh, or with my hands. Many, many times I got lost in the streets. Many times I cried. When I came to America, basically 1970, so I was so afraid and fearful. How am I able to communicate or live? When I go to the supermarket, for example, and I want to ask for something, 
that sometimes I don't know how to order. So I stand behind a person and I listen <laughs> what they, how they ask. And I repeat the same. No, I try to do my best. Did you know that one out of every seven people in America is an immigrant? And when they come to the United States, they have a great need to learn English. And we can do that in our churches. Jesus sent the nations to us for a reason, because that way we can reach the nations by simply loving our neighbor. I think the students that come to our ESL ministry are first off surprised by the fact that it's such a caring ministry and that we're really here for them and that we're offering something that they need and we're not really asking for anything in return. And there's a true depth of appreciation that they have for the fact that we would go out of our ways to help them with this. Abbreviation. Abbreviation. I walked into the classroom and fell in love with the students. They just being with them, watching their struggle, trying to help them, being their friends. It became so important that it became a passion for me. Next. February. Very good. February. I've been teaching for four years. I teach foundations, which is the basic level, and it's extremely rewarding because we're able to reach students that know very little to no English that after nine months are able to converse at some level. The English teachers at the church are very different. I can go to them for any questions, including the issues in my family, not just the English. Our English classes are usually called conversational English classes. We do not focus on grammar. I remember being in 10th grade in that horrible, horrible grammar class where you had to diagram the sentences, and this is not like that at all. This is a lot of fun. You don't have to have a degree. You just have to love the students, because really that's what you're doing, is loving the students and giving them the opportunity to learn English. Yeah, so if you know English, <laughs> and you know how to move your hands around, and you know how to hold up objects, that's pretty much all you really need to do. You don't have to worry about translating. They will understand if you give them something concrete and repeat the words over and over in conversation, in games, in chants. Uh, and by the end of the two hours, they've said those vocabulary words 80 times. Actually, I have stayed here uh, three years and joined the different classes and uh, improved my English. Yes, that is wonderful. Whole video because it's about nine minutes long, but we're praying for five teachers. As they said in the video, you do not need to be a teacher to be able to teach English as a second language. You just have to love people and speak English, which I think most of you guys probably do. Uh, and then we are looking and praying for one director, an administratively gifted person who would uh, help run the, the uh, program. In two weeks, I'll send out a note about this, but after the evening service, uh, we'll meet on the 30th of April. Anyone interested in potentially being a teacher 
or a director for ESL. And if you just have any interest, come to that meeting, uh, information meeting in two weeks after the evening service, and we'll talk about ESL. Thank you so much for watching. We're dismissed.